Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Sequencing is all about the order in which we do things. While it can sometimes seem like what we do first doesn't matter, just try putting your pants on after your shoes. Sequencing is something I've come to realize is a big deal with ADHD. The order in which we do things has a big impact on our overall productivity. But more than that, some of our other issues with ADHD make the sequence in which we do things that much more important. Today, we're going to be exploring how the order in which we do things is important for our ADHD brains, and then we'll be looking at some of the ways that we can use sequencing to our advantage. If you'd like to follow along with the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com sequencing. Before we get started, I'd also like to take a moment to let everyone know about the Hacking Your ADHD Patreon. While the podcast will always remain free for everyone to listen to, it isn't free to produce. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support it, here's your chance. And there are some great perks. For example, at the $10 level, I'm going to be releasing bonus content every month, and this month I put up a mini-sode on systems thinking and how we can apply it to our ADHD brains. I have to say this is probably one of the best mini-sodes that I've created yet. These mini-sodes are on topics that I come up with but don't quite warrant a full episode yet. While I may use some of the same ideas in a later episode, these mini-sodes are going to remain exclusive to the Patreon. If you'd like to hear this one, just head over to patreon.com slash hackingyouradhd and sign up for the $10 a month tier. Alright, keep on listening, because that's the next thing in the sequence of listening to this episode. I first noticed this idea of sequencing when I was taking out the trash. We keep our big trash can for garbage pickup next to the house. So when our kitchen trash is full, it's usually one of my jobs to just go take it out. I really don't mind that part. You know, other than getting my socks wet sometimes. And I generally like getting outside from it and having the cold air wash over me. Regardless, the point is, for me, taking out the trash is not a big deal. But for a long time, I had an issue with what I thought of as the second part of taking out the trash. And that was relining the kitchen trash can. I'd go take the trash out and then I'd head back in and have completely forgotten I still needed to reline the trash can and go on and do something else. It's not terribly surprising that after going through two doorways and letting my mind wander during a fairly mindless activity, that once I got back inside, I was focused on doing something else. At first, the answer was I just had to try and work on remembering harder. But, of course, remembering harder rarely works. And I wouldn't remember until I tried to throw something away, only to frustratingly find the trash can bare. My next solution was simply to ask my wife to reline it while I took out the trash. And while this is a fine solution, it didn't help if I was taking out the trash when she wasn't around. What I actually needed to change was my sequencing. If I just relined the trash can after I took the old bag out, but before I took the trash outside, it no longer became an issue of remembering that I needed to reline it later. When I thought of this solution, it felt head-smackingly simple. Of course, if I take the remembering part out of a task, it will reduce the number of times I forget to do something. And that's one of the important aspects of sequencing. There are certain tasks that signal us that we're done with what we're working on and we can move on to the next thing. This is great for transitioning, but will absolutely kill you if you're not ready for that transition. While this is a fairly simple example of how the order in which you do things matters, I think this can apply in a much broader sense to our ADHD. Part of the reason the sequencing is so important for us is that it can be incredibly easy for us to get off track. 
but with proper sequencing, we're more likely to be able to follow one thing to the next. When we're thinking about a logical progression of something, we often think of it in terms of after A comes B, and from B we go to C. In our mind, it should be easy to see what the next step should be, but more often than not, that order is not nearly as clear as we hoped it would be. I've often thought about this while I'm running errands. Let's say I have a few things I need to do. Stop by the grocery store, deposit a check at the bank, pick something up at the hardware store, and go to the gym. Obviously, this is a scenario well before COVID life, but let's run with it. There are a number of ways that we could prioritize what order these errands need to happen in. Often, I'll start by looking at what makes the most sense driving-wise. So if I can make some sort of loop where I'm not driving back and forth along my trip, that's the most ideal. But there are also going to be other factors that weigh in here. If I need to go into the bank, then I have to make sure I get there before it closes. If I'm getting anything I don't want to leave in a hot car, then I'll want to do the grocery shopping last. And of course, once I consider those, maybe I'll have to do a bit of driving back and forth across town. Maybe I'll even want to consider if I'm going to be driving into the sun at the end of the day and where it would be best for my last errand to happen. The point here being that the correct order for you to do things in can get complicated pretty quickly. And to top it off, I might also do something like go to the gym first, but since I'm used to just going home after the gym, I'll jump in my car and drive right home and then realize I didn't do any of my other errands. Maybe putting the gym first without any reminders wasn't the best plan. And it's this problem of not knowing the right order things should go in that often gets us in trouble. We find ourselves partway through step C and realize that to complete it, we should have already completed step A and B first. Or worse yet, we complete step C and then realize what we've done isn't going to work because the result of step B is going to make us have to do step C completely differently. Which is why sequencing can be so hard for us with ADHD. It's not just that we have to do things in the right order it's that we also have to know what the right order is in the first place. And oftentimes, ADHD can make it harder for us to see that big picture. Okay, order is important. How can we apply this? Well, the first place we can really apply sequencing is in our planning. Because a big part of planning is about looking ahead. No one wants to plan to do things in the wrong order. But since we have trouble with that big picture stuff, sometimes we still find ourselves having trouble putting the steps in the right order. My first impulse is often to jump right in and figure out what I need to do as I go. And honestly, this isn't the worst strategy sometimes. There are plenty of times where I'm going to need to get my hands a little dirty before I really know what a project is going to entail. But this does mean I have to go in knowing that I'm probably going to have to redo something. This is a big part of my pre-writing process. I know that there are going to be tons of things that I don't know when I start writing an episode, but I also know the only way to really figure out where I'm deficient is to jump in and see where things aren't working, and then know that most of that stuff is still going to get rewritten. But there are plenty of other times where this isn't the best strategy. In fact, drawing from my metaphor there, we don't want to be jumping into the deep end if we don't know how to swim. That's just a bad idea. With my pre-writing, I often have at least a little idea of what I'm doing when I start. If I decided I wanted to write an episode about the metaphysics of how our brain relates to our internalized ideas of ADHD, well, I'd probably just be writing gobbledygook. I wouldn't even know where to start. So, in that case, how do you plan? Well, one of the best strategies I've found for this issue is to try and work on planning backwards. When we're planning with the end in mind, we're increasing the likelihood that we aren't going to miss a step. 
For example, I've been working on building a new desk for my office. Since I'm in a tiny closet office at home right now, I thought a new desk would be a good way for me to better utilize the space. Now, I can start there with, I want to build a new desk. And I could go forward by just thinking about what comes next. What do I need to do? Or I could start with the process of looking at where I want to be. Okay, so I want a desk that spans the width of the closet and that sits on some 2x4s that I'm going to bolt to the wall. So that way I can use the entire space. And I'm also going to want to build another shelf that serves as a monitor stand. Before I hang those 2x4s, I'm going to need to know where the studs in my wall are, so I'm just not hanging stuff off the drywall. And I'm going to need to cut all this wood. And before I do that, I'm going to need to buy it at the store. And before I go to the store, I'm going to need to make a list of everything that I need. And before I make a list, I need to know what I actually do need, which means that I'm going to need to measure the space first and figure out the size of the desk I'm building, which is going to start off with me making some rough drawings so I know how to properly measure that space. And had I planned it out like that, I probably wouldn't have found myself halfway through the project before realizing that I only bought screws for the desk part and not for the monitor stands. Whoops. This kind of planning can also be great for things like planning your bedtime. Just work backwards from when you need to get out the door in the morning. Let's say that you're supposed to get to work at 9, and you've got a 30-minute commute. Well, build in a 10-minute buffer for things like traffic and getting out of your car and into the building, which means you need to leave your house by 8.20. So that means if we take 45 minutes to wake up, eat breakfast, and get ready to go, that we want to have our wake-up time be about 7.35. Okay, that seems reasonable. Now, if we want to make sure that we're getting 8 hours of sleep, or at least giving ourselves the opportunity to get 8 hours, then we should try to be asleep by around 11.35 at night. Now we can go further and use this to plan out our evening routine, because now we have a target of being asleep at 11.35. If we need approximately 15 minutes to fall asleep after getting in bed, hey, we're in an ideal world here, people, then we need to be in bed by about 11.20. If my bedtime routine, brushing teeth, getting into pajamas, etc., takes 20 minutes, then I'm going to want to start getting ready for bed at 11. And of course, you could go back farther looking at what you do at night and how you get yourself ready so that once 11 rolls around, you're not just putting off going to bed for another couple of hours. The idea here is that when we're working backwards, it can help us see what needs to happen next and give us the information we need to plan that previous step. Another aspect of sequencing we should be thinking about is how an activity is going to affect us. During the last few months, I haven't been doing nearly as much planning as I normally do. With both kids at home, it's hard to make a plan that's going to survive contact with a toddler. But one thing that I'm still trying to plan is when I'm getting my exercise in. I've got two main parts of my day when I can exercise, and that's in the morning before the kids get up, or in the afternoon when they're down for quiet time and a nap. And I mean, sure, there's also time after they're in bed, but I really prefer that to be some downtime for me. Since I'm trying to get as much sleep as I can right now, Waking up early is a stretch, so my aim has been to exercise during nap time. Here's the thing. I can get a few things done during nap time. I can do a couple chores, it can be nice to relax a little, and I can get a little video gaming in. But what i found is that if I try and choose to do something like the gaming first, and then exercise, well that just means I'm going to spend all of nap time playing video games. But if I exercise first, I tend not to extend my exercise for the whole period. Shocking, I know. Well, what I see from this is that when we're working on the sequence of something, we can look at whether we think a task is going to keep us on track or if it's going to divert us. Sure, in this example, it's easy to see that video games are absolutely something that would get me off track. But what if we went with something like checking our email? 
is that going to keep us on track, or is that going to get us diverted? And let's extend this idea to our planning with the end in mind. Let's say that I did have a plan to exercise in the afternoon, but part of that plan involved me having to pick up the living room first so that I could do my exercise in there. I don't know for sure that's going to be a sticking point, but I can say for certain that it could be. This has certainly been the case for me with my garage gym many times. I have all the intentions of working out, but to do so, I'd have to move a bunch of boxes first. Not that hard, but combining that with the idea that I'm also going to have to exercise afterwards leads to a pretty strong case of the I don't want us. It's that little bit of friction keeping me from doing the thing I want to do, which means it isn't a great idea for me to pair those tasks together. They seem like similar tasks because they're both in the same space, but they are mentally very different. If I want to get a workout in, I have to make it as seamless as possible, and so that means I shouldn't be combining it with unlike tasks. This is actually a really important part of sequencing. Task switching takes up way more of our mental resources than we think it does. So when we're planning our days, we can think about how one task leads into another. Often we're told that we should just work on the highest priority task we have next on our to-do list. But I find that if I structure my day to flow from one thing to the next, it works much better. So I can combine days where I'm writing and researching, or days where I'm recording and editing. Those tasks are similar enough that while I'm doing a different task, I'm still able to maintain a sense of what the day is about. But let's say I decided to record an episode, and then I had a phone call, and I had to answer some emails, and then I did the editing. While the phone call and email are related to my work, it isn't related to the kind of day I'm working on, so it creates a greater task switching cost. For me, it's better when I have more of a theme for my day. From this, we can also build up this idea of batching our tasks. And what that means is we're just combining a lot of tasks into one session. So let's say I had already written three episodes. It would make more sense for me to just record all three at the same time so that I could build that momentum and knock them all out at once, instead of recording one on Tuesday, another on Thursday, and the last one on Friday. By batching them together, I'm reducing that switching cost because I'm not really doing any task switching. Although, I also do want to caution against too much batching. For example, if I save my email up for too long to batch them all together, I sometimes find that suddenly the batch becomes overwhelming. Instead of a bunch of small tasks, I see one giant task that I'm just not going to be able to complete. The trick here is understanding that you can batch, but you also don't need to do it all at once. So, okay, I've batched all those emails together. It doesn't mean I have to process that batch in a single email session. I can still break up my batches into more reasonable chunks. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. Sequencing is the order in which we do things, and it matters because it can have a big impact on how we remember things and how we execute our plans. 2. Planning can help with our ability to sequence things properly. One technique that can be especially helpful in making sure we don't forget steps is to start our planning from the end and work our way backwards. 3. Part of sequencing is making sure that we're paying attention to tasks that will get us off track and making sure we're not putting those right before things we actually want to do. 4. Batching tasks is a great way to make sure we're not getting ourselves off track. But remember, we don't have to do an entire batch at once. We can still break batches into reasonable chunks. You can find this episode show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com sequencing. If you'd like to support the podcast... The best way is to share this episode with someone you think would also get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, 
hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I bet you'd like it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. Sign up for the 2, 5, 10, or even $25 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tiver's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. And for those of you late-diagnosed women, moms, and professionals, you can check out the ADHD-friendly lifestyle with Moira Mapin. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of every month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's just too dark to read. <laughs>